everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Thurston County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com slash hb. Again, altitude-re.com slash hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey everybody, it's uh, Brian M. Hauser, and we've got the the Motley Hawk Blogger crew back together on a Monday night to uh, talk about the uh, the opening of Seahawks training camp. It's been an interesting few days. I was able to get to camp for a couple of days. Um, I know that there's some storylines starting to emerge, and uh, a lot of the guys want to throw around. So, um, without further ado, uh, welcoming back Evan Hill, Jeff Simmons, and Nathan Ernst, and you can find them on Twitter. Evan is at Evan on HB, E-V-A-N-O-N-H-B. Um, Jeff is uh, at Real Jeff Simmons. That one should be pretty easy. And uh, Nathan is uh, either lifelong Laker fan, um, but is really uh, at Nathan E11. So uh, give all those guys a follow. Uh, they're awesome, um, and they they each bring a little something different to your uh, Twitter feed. So uh, highly recommend following those guys. Um, so Jeff, uh, you know, there's a lot lots to cover. I, I'm kind of curious, what's top of mind for you? Um, you know, as as training camp starting to to play out for the Seahawks. Um, it's interesting. I say, based on our conversation last week, and based on sort of what I've been following, the receiver battle's been really kind of top of mind to me uh, last week we were hampering or harping on how weak the depth looked and how they moved on from Paul Richardson and Jimmy Graham and who was going to emerge and a, a couple names have emerged that maybe we didn't expect and one of the names is we talked about David Moore a little bit last week I think you you were pretty high on him going to Camp Ryan and a couple other names have emerged uh, Marcus Johnson and Keenan Reynolds which is a guy no one all in the reports on him the last two days have been off the charts. And that's a guy I don't think, do we even mention him last week? I did, but in a derogatory way. <laughs> so, oh, you guys. Are you guys buying this or is this just early camp hype? Well, I mean, my, my, uh, you know, I, my take is, is, is that it's a couple, it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. So um, I'll give you the positive first, which is, the guy clearly is getting more separation than you know any receiver outside of maybe Tyler Lockett so far for, through the first few days of camp. Um, and if I had to really put it, I'd say he's getting the most separation any receiver I've seen um, so far. Um, you know, uh, to to put the the negative on it for a second, or at least the more skeptical. You know. Um, this is a guy that's not an undrafted rookie. You know, he's been in the league uh, for two years. Uh, he's on, I think, the, I want to say the 
was it the Ravens, the right? Off the squad or something. The um, anyway, he's gone, gone through a couple of places already. Hasn't stuck around. So, you know, it's, it's always a little bit less likely that someone's going to go through two teams and then all of a sudden pop for you uh, as a third team, but, but it's potential. Um, and it's early, you know, and, and the other thing I throw out on the skeptical side is, you know, as Nathan pointed out last week, it's not exactly the, you know, Titanic uh, crew um, at, at receiver. So standing out from that group might not be, you know, a big deal, but um you know, I definitely lean towards, I think there's something there. I, I, the speed he plays at, the separation he's getting, we'll see how it translates into games, but I see something really intriguing um, from what I've seen so far. My question with him, more than like how he looks relative to the other receivers, is like how have the corners generally looked? Is he Is he playing well against defensive backs that are playing well, or is he playing well... Like is everybody doing fairly well? If Lockett and Reynolds and you know a couple, of, you know, I see Marshall popping up on Twitter from time to time. Are are other players making plays? Yeah, that that's a that's a great question. So, um, I'll answer it two ways. One, he, as I said to start, he's getting far more separation than any of the other receivers that I'm seeing, other than maybe Lockett. Um, when you hear names like Marcus uh, Johnson or um, even Demoria Stringfellow yesterday had a really nice day. Made almost as many catches as Keenan Reynolds, I would say. But they're very different. Um, you know, you'd see Stringfellow stretch out up and above people and make, you know, tough, contested physical catches. That's not what I've seen Reynolds do. And Reynolds is, you know, he's like, he's a close compare to Doug Baldwin in terms of the type of player. I'm not saying he is Doug Baldwin, but he's in and out of his breaks really quickly getting like he's wide open and people are delivering the ball. Johnson is not getting that kind of separation. I mean, I think he's, he, he's making nice plays. He's fast. He's made some um, athletic adjustments to the ball in the air, but he's had pretty tight coverage on him in most cases. So it is different than, than the other guys. Um, and that's part of what stood out for me about him, about Reynolds. Did anybody else have to look him up on Wikipedia? <laughs> because I had to. Uh, he was uh, the Navy option quarterback. He was lots of fun in college. <laughs> yeah, but I don't watch college football. He was a legit Heisman candidate. You know, you know, I have to admit, and I'm going to bring my work into this for a second, and this is not meant to be a, uh, a plug, but it will come across that way. So um, uh, some folks know I work at Adobe, and we build a product called Spark. That's the product I, I'm responsible for. And... Uh, um, a bunch of colleges, um, social media departments picked it up and started sharing uh, these Spark pages about their players, player profiles, a lot of photos and all this stuff. And so I was always following which colleges were doing that. And they were totally, Navy was pushing him for Heisman that year hard using Spark. So I, I, I totally learned about him that way. They had all these glowing things about him. Uh, he's this amazing person and he's like, you know, breaking all these records, but I hadn't heard of him before that. Got it. Yeah. I, I think it's super exciting. I mean, obviously we had a ton of pass catchers, uh, walking free agency, Paul Richardson, uh, Jimmy Graham. Um, I'm sure I'm missing another receiver walk. Um, uh, we obviously don't have Jermaine curse anymore. Uh, the whole depth of that whole position group just looks super weak. 
But I will say this, there's a little bit of excitement in this in this uncertainty. I like seeing, um, you know, these low-level roster guys, uh, you know, they're scrappy. I love seeing them fight for spots, and, and um, I think it's exciting. I, I think, obviously, there's a lot to be said that, you know, we saw Doug Baldwin on the sidelines the first couple of days too, which was a, which was a little bit concerning, but um, if Keenan Reynolds can work into that number three spot, hell yeah, I'm all about it. I'm going to get a lot more excited about these guys once they play another team. Uh, yeah. We just know so little about the Seahawks team right now. Like, like I was saying, like, it's cool that Reynolds is doing well, but we don't know a lot about these cornerbacks. And I mean, I guess we kind of do, we saw Maxi and that, that starting group most of last year and, you know, Quill and Coleman all year, but you know, this isn't the he, he's not making plays against, you know, Sherm and Browner and Cam and Earl. Right. I mean, literally none of those guys are there. So when they go out and they have to play another team, you know, is Kenny Reynolds just like tearing it up? Is that just a bad sign for the defense for the rest of the season? It's hard to say. That is such a great point. I mean, you know, every year it was so hard in, in camp to tell if a uh, if the offense was just a disaster or the defense was just one of the best defenses in a generation. And, and like, it is, it is really hard to, to really tell um, over time. Um, all that said, I, you know, I think there's reason to be, to have your interest peaked about Reynolds. Uh, he's, he's done it consistently uh, at least across a few practices. Um, but uh, you know, there's guys that pop and make one play in a practice and you'll see, Condota or, you know, one of the people the right about like who stood out and basically often it's about one play. Reynolds is a guy that, you know, I was talking to Aaron Levine uh, at, at Q13. We were riding over to the, the practice field together. He mentioned Reynolds stood out at OTAs um, and that, this you know, I mentioned him. He's like, oh, yeah, he was a standout there. So, you know, whether it's someone that everyone should be like, oh, my God, he's going to be the, the difference for this team. I, I don't think we're anywhere close to that yet. But he's definitely a name to keep a, an eye on. And when you see 85, I'm really curious. I'm excited to see fans kind of see him in the game and see if he pops off the screen the way he's popped, you know, on the practice field so far. And I guess another interesting position group that's come out of the team so far is on the lesser exciting side is the pass rushers. I think from, from our show last week, we talked about the depth issues there. Frank Clark's had some hand injuries throughout the offseason. Deion Jordan isn't able to practice. So now you're looking at Marcus Smith. You're looking at Barkevius Mingo. Jacob Martin's been a guy who's drawn a lot of interest in camp. Do they have to trade for someone? Can they get by with these guys? What are they going to trade? I don't see it. I mean... Look at what they gave up when they started trading to try to fill gaps last year. How that worked out? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> um, I, I don't see it. I, I don't. I don't. I don't see the pass rush. Um, the nicest thing I can say is is Rasheem Green. Um, at least looked like he has some you know natural talent as a pass rusher, and um, you know there's something to work with there. Um, I can't say he's looked dominant and. To put, you know, point on what Nathan's been saying, it depends on who you're going up against. And so there'd be years where you'd see guys, you know, blow by Jermaine Effetti or blow by, you know, 
uh, Justin Britt at right tackle, and and you think, oh man, this guy might be something, and then you'd see him go against a decent player, and it was they would do nothing. Um, in this camp, there's not a lot of guys so far blowing by even our offensive line. So um, you know, I, I think that's it's definitely a it was a concern going in. I think it's it's more of a concern now. I think it's a big problem that Deion Jordan's injury is a big problem. Like the fact that we're relying on him to make a fairly sizable contribution in 2018 is pretty concerning. And I know there's a lot of elements there at play in terms of Cliff Averill, you know, retiring, Michael Bennett being traded, you know, Frank Clark's injuries. Um, that group looks thin. There's potential there, I think, but God, I don't know. I don't know why Dion Jordan being, you know, who's like a former first round bust, proclaimed bust. I don't know why him being out two to three weeks in training camp stresses me out so much, but it does. Um, these are critical moments. I, I, I think th from me, there's a lot of concern about this group. I mean, Jordan played like 50% of the snaps in like five games last year. And it's probably one of the years where he played the most. Um, he's just missed so much time. And, and the question, he's not holding up over an offseason, let alone the you know increased load and extra games that he's going to have to play this year. So I don't know. It's the story of this entire team, right? Like we see Doug Baldwin sitting out a couple practices and, you know, Reynolds is stepping up. And so that's cool. But like, that's who you, you, you Doug Baldwin sits out and now you're depending on Keenan Reynolds. Deion Jordan's, you know, missing a couple of weeks was hopefully just some cleanup, you know, work and you're relying on Marcus Smith or, you know, whoever. Um, Earl is out and suddenly now it's Tedrick. What happens to Tedrick, right? Like, again, Tedrick's guy that so far has been stepping up, but, you know, you're already at this, like, the, the razor thin edge of, you know, injuries and we're like a week into camp. So it, the story of the season is going to be how healthy they can be and whether they can keep these, they have talented players. If they can keep them on the field, they could be a, a decent team. Um, but if they are already looking like this a few days into camp, it's kind of scary. Yeah. I, I would go a step further, Nathan. I mean, I think after the first day of camp, it, it hit me pretty hard, really just seeing the, the guys on the field, how they moved, you know, how this compared to the size, speed, um, athletic ability and experience that we've had on the Seahawks in the past years. I mean, don't forget that you had you know, Michael Bennett would always talk about um, how much it mattered to have experienced defensive linemen that weren't, you know, young ones that they were depending on. He talked about the the difference of having a guy like Chris Clemens and Red Bryan and, you know, even Ataba Rubin and those kind of guys around you got a lot of really young players on this team and a lot of them are pretty unproven. And, you know, there are not a lot of pro bowl. I don't know if there are any pro bowl pass rushers or any pro bowlers along that defensive line as of right now. Um, when's the last time you could say the Seahawks didn't have a single pro bowler on their defensive line. Um, so I, I, I've already, in my mind, I've made the switch and, and, People may not love this, but I made the switch. I'm looking at not like how good can this team be this year. I'm looking at what are the key building blocks for this team to to regain, um, you know, their status of where they were, and do they have a do they have some of those in place? That's why I spent some time watching Rasheem Green. I spent some time watching Trey Flowers and guys that maybe have potential for higher upsides um, that could start being um, core foundational players as the team kind of rebuilds its talent base. It was it was a little weird 
when Frank Clark did an interview with um, Aaron they, on the Seahawks broadcast, I think the first day of training camp, and they asked him flat out who was going to be the pass rusher beside him. He didn't even mention another defensive end. He mentioned Tom Johnson and Jaron Reed. The fact that he couldn't even name another defensive end teammate of his. And what Nathan says is a great point. That's like the number one thing you look for in the depth of a team in any sport. If one core player goes down outside of quarterback, how do you respond? And the fact that the Seahawks, once they lose one guy like Baldwin, or if they lose one guy like Clark, the whole the, like the Jenga piece falls. That's pretty alarming because I read a stat just – I know like backups end up playing like over 50% of the snaps on places like defensive line and receiver. And you, you really need good depth to sustain, especially in a conference like this. And if the Seahawks can have a, they can break down that quickly. That's <laughs> that does not leave them much of an emergent prayer. Right. So I have well, a, I mean, think yeah. about this, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're jumping through uh, different topics here. I realize, but like, you know, I was I was pretty down on Tedrick last year, and I'm not certainly not sold that all of a sudden he's a impact player. But he's a guy that has shown that he's he's he is a better player than he was last year. I, I have zero doubt that he's a better player. He's made stride. And what's interesting to watch there is I do have a lot of trust and belief in Pete Carroll's ability to identify a player's strengths identify how he can accentuate those strengths and how he can kind of hide some of the weaknesses and adjust the scheme to, to, to kind of do the best balance of those things. Maybe, you know, we, we're all looking for an Earl Thomas clone that can play single high safety and run four, four sideline to sideline. And that guy's not on the roster uh, other than Earl. Um, so, so maybe they do start making adjustments to how they play defense and, in fact, I mean, they made adjustments, you know, to even how they played the safety position, um, you know, and bringing in uh, Cam Chancellor. Cam Chancellor was not a prototypical safety um, coming into to the NFL. So we'll see. I mean, maybe maybe we see a little bit more too, too deep safety looks. Maybe that means different things for what type of corners they're looking for. And we're about to see a different type of Seahawks scheme than any of us have gotten used to. And so I might even be looking for different kind of players than than what the team currently is looking for. Um, it's hard to say. I'm ready to trade Earl Thomas to the Chargers for an in-and-out location in Seattle. Anybody <laughs> with me? Um, no, I'm not serious. Uh, I'm really excited about Tedrick Thompson. There's a bunch of Tedrick Thompson haters on Seahawks Twitter. Nathan might be one of them. I, don't know never, I, I have never seen fans turn on a player so quickly and completely throw them under the bus in just under one year of action. I have never seen it. You've never it's, seen it? Well, <laughs> okay, I've never not seen it. But yeah. but it but I we gotta give him a chance to shine. Like he have, didn't he have like one bad play in preseason or something and everybody lost their collective minds on a on a deep touchdown against um God I, I, think, it was, I think it was the Chargers, wasn't it? Was it against the Chargers? Yeah Travis Benjamin. Yeah um beat by like 17 yards i mean it wasn't like a little <laughs> <laughs> like, was, like the 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 camera had to like pan back like significantly in order to keep him in the screen breakdown in communication brian breakdown in communication <laughs> you know it could have been look my, my criticism of tedrick's always been 
as an athlete, he's got limits. You know, he was not the biggest guy. He was, I think, right around 200 pounds. Um, and he wasn't fast at like a 4640. Um, and then he also didn't seem to have like amazing instincts last year where he was like anticipating plays, you know, because he's so in the books and he knows what's coming. Like, <laughs> you don't have any of those three going. Then I'm like, you know, you're not a Seahawks safety. Um, but to his credit, he's put on weight. I wouldn't be surprised if he's 210 plus, you know, it wouldn't shock me if he's 212, 215. That might be a little bit high, but, um, you know, probably 208 to 210. And he is definitely on the ball. He's making plays. He's making pre-snap adjustments. He's, you know, he is adjusting players in the defense because he knows what's coming and he knows what the – so he, I think, you know – we'll at least see the best of what Tedrick Thompson can offer this preseason. Um, whether that's good enough, that, that remains. Has Delano Hill done anything? There hasn't been any talk about him in camp so far. Yeah. Well, yeah. That could be a good thing, right? I, I saw him start yesterday and I didn't notice him. What I will say is there was a, definitely a, more than a handful of plays where the quarterbacks were patting the ball and running around in the pocket to try to find an open player. So that can mean that Delano Hill was doing exactly what he should be doing. And, you know, uh, so I, I didn't see anything that made me feel negatively about Delano Hill. Um, he still moves really well. He's big. He's to me more prototypical at strong safety and slots in there pretty well. So um my feelings about him haven't changed at all. What about Mo Alexander? Pete keeps mentioning him. I don't really understand the fascination with him, given the young players on the team and given what kind of year this is. But well, look, he, he was a starter for the Rams last year. And then midseason, they elevated, I think it's like Jason Jones. John Johnson. John Johnson. I think it was some JJ. Um, so That's a terrible name, by the way. <laughs> he's a good safety, though. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I think there's limited upside in what he is. He's obviously proven he can be an NFL starter. He's a big guy. He's definitely more of a strong safety type. Um, but he hasn't really been practicing in team drills, so it's it's hard to say much. Um, you know, one thing I have to change change the subject for a second because people are focusing uh, on the chat. Uh, they're curious about the CJ ProSize situation because that, that keeps, keeps getting a lot of talk. And I'm curious where you guys are. So the general feel of Seahawks Twitter seems to be that um, CJ ProSize, his first two years, uh, couldn't stay healthy. Um, he's been injured enough that we should just write him off. And no, pretty much no matter what he does, he's, he's just an injury waiting to happen. Um, what we've seen so far in camp is actually ProSize is ahead of Rashad Penny in things like third down and two-minute drill situations. Um, he hasn't missed any practice or any OTAs. Let's start with let's start with you, Jeff. You know, how would you feel with you know the team breaking camp with CJ ProSize uh, as their primary third down and and uh, two-minute drill back, and Rashad Penny is behind Chris Carson, um, you know, at, at tailback. Like, 
talk to me about how that make you feel about Penny and and where are you on CJ Pro size? Uh, in terms of Penny, I go back to my point that I still think it was a poor use of a first round pick on a team that had a lot of holes, especially if you're we're talking about those defensive ends. Harold Landry was a guy we all looked at at that spot. It would be nice to have him on the roster right now. Um, in terms of Penny, I'm. I heard Brock Yard mention this on the on Brock and Salk. I was listening to one of the podcasts the other day. He said the word around the Seahawks facility they were comparing Penny to more of a Sean Alexander, in the fact that he's not going to really jump off the screen in practice. He's not going to make a lot of exciting plays, but he's just gonna. He's the kind of guy who was a very assignment correct, and he's gonna. He's gonna his. He'll stand out more in the game than he will in practice. So we might not hear a lot of glowing reports on him compared to someone like ProSize, who's like a jump-off-the-page type of player. Doesn't that sound like a front office that's like scrambling to make excuses? I mean, that sounds weird to me. I mean, Sean Alexander, for what it's worth, even in camp, the guy, you know, you, you could see his lateral lateral quickness, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I The whole Penny thing worries me in the sense that just – what they could have done with that pick. It's just the opportunity cost of it. And the fact that Chris Carson seems to be far and away the starter. I I'm still trying to wrap my head around that pick and I'm still not, I'm still not able to reconcile with it. In terms of precise. Where are you on precise? Yeah. I'm totally in wait and see mode. I have no problem with him. I'm not ready to cut him. Like some people are, I don't see the value of that. You have him for four years of control. He showed flashes and with the depth they have at running back, even if he flakes or it doesn't work out, you're you're okay. You have McKissick. You have Penny. So there's no real harm in throwing him out there and hope you get something out of him. So right now I'm kind of I'm hoping the best for him because really he's a really really talented player at that position. And if he doesn't work out, you unlike other positions they have the depth to get by. Yeah, Evan, where are you? Uh, you before I throw it to you, you should know uh, Daniel on chat wants to, to everyone to know that the Seahawks are going to the playoffs. So I, I thought that was a good intro for you. The Seahawks are going to the playoffs, Daniel. You are correct. Thank you for that stupendous intro. I really appreciate it. Um, so these are I have I have a list. I need to like this, okay. The way my mind works, I need to like bulletin order this list for for uh, CJ Procise. Number one, I'm rooting for CJ Procise. I want him to do well. Number two, he has been largely unavailable in his Seahawks career so far. Number three, the position group is stacked. Number four, I firmly believe, firmly believe availability is the best ability. I uh, firmly believe that. You can I I do not care if CJ Procise is the best running back in the world but can only play 10 snaps every single season and can't make it through a single practice. Okay? So I'm exaggerating that obviously, but he has not been healthy in his first 2 years as a Seahawk. Um if he ends up, you know, showing that he can stay healthy throughout preseason and into the regular season, yes. Obviously, keep him on the roster. I love him competing. I think he's supremely talented. I will never forget, number one, his run against the Eagles. It was like a 85-yard um, uh, run at home. And then that – I don't know if you guys remember that Patriots game. He was so, so valuable during that game. I remember he had made like several different large um, uh, third-down conversions. Obviously, he's extremely effective as a pass catcher. Um it just comes down to health for him. If he can prove he is he can stay healthy, then keep him on the roster. But I really, really think availability is the best ability, and he has to prove it. 
I think he's lost his chances in my mind. So Nathan, as I hand it over to you, I'll throw out one of my favorite stats about CJ Proceis. In in the amount of time that he has played, which we all know is very short, um, over the past two seasons, the Seahawks leaders in um, 40 yard plays are number one, Doug Baldwin with uh, eight, number two, Tyler Lockett with seven, six uh, receptions and one uh, rush. Uh, and number three is CJ Proseis with three. Uh, two receptions, one rush um, in a lot less time than any of those other players we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, he's really good. Uh, and like Evan said, it's, it's all about health with him, right? And so this would be a lot more concerning um, if they were depending on him. But since they do have Carson and they do have McKissick and they do have Penny, um, you know, it's just <laughs> ride him for as long as you can and get what you can out of him. And then when he gets hurt, you've got your other options. So I, it's not something that I'm like worried about. It's cool that he looks good. It makes sense that he might be outperforming or, or looking better than Penny at this point because Penny's path protection concerns were really real. Um, he was really poor in that department. Um, and then Procise is more adept at, you know, catching passes and doing stuff like that, which they're, they got pads on and stuff now, but when you're just doing through, going through practice and stuff, sometimes the, the running, the actual, like running the ball doesn't really pop as much. But like you said, like Sean Alexander, like he's an athlete. Like you guys, you can tell these guys are athletes. So is Penny not popping as an athlete? Does he not look like he's laterally quick or is he just not like super involved or what, how is he, uh, I guess I'd be mostly concerned to understand how he's underperforming. Yeah, I wouldn't even say he's he's underperforming other than like, I'll just put my expectations out there. So um, you see Chris Carson get the ball in practice and the guy runs pretty damn fast and he's big. Like he looks like a guy that you don't want to be in the way of, like not a guy that people are going to enjoy tackling. And we've seen enough of him that I know that's kind of true. That is how he runs and he's proven that. Um, you see uh, CJ Procise get the ball. And he is much more the shifty guy, lateral quickness, lateral explosion. Like he's got that. He's a very smooth gliding runner um, and he stands out in his ability to do that. He's also a really good receiver. Um, you see JD McKissick get the ball and he is a instant blur. His acceleration from zero to full speed is better than anybody else. And he's also like big as a minute, like he's tiny. And so he just stands out cause he's just like, everyone always like, whoa. Cause he just runs so fast when he gets the ball. Um, when Penny gets the ball, it's like nothing in particular stands out. He's not particularly fast. He's not particularly explosive or high acceleration or lateral, you know, quickness. You know, it is possible. And I've tried to write this, that it is possible that will come out as when the, they're really in a real game situation. His vision could be elite. He could see holes and make the right reads. That is a huge part of being a great running back that a lot of people you can't see as an athlete. Um, and that's to kind of what Jeff was getting at. And that's totally possible. Um, he has shown out well as a receiver. He's very natural catching the ball. Um, he looks comfortable in screen plays. He catches the ball. He turns up field really fluidly. Like he looks like a really solid all around back. And if he was like a fifth round pick or a, you know, a six round pick, I'd be like, oh, you know, like. I hate to say Justin Forsett, but like, you know, kind of like a solid running back. And could he be a good starter? Yeah. But 
when I when I think first round running backs, you know, I think of guys like Amon Green or who wasn't actually a first round running back, but like someone who has like an, an elite physical trait. Um, my guess is if I was in Patriots camp and um, uh, what is it, Sony uh, Michelle yeah. uh, was was on the field, I'm pretty sure it would be hard not to watch him. Like he just stands out as an athlete. So um, I think that's part of it. I would say that I would be, I, I would be patient with Penny until we start to see him in games. Like, I do think that his skill set, he is. Um, I thought he was very explosive and very exciting, but he was he the way he generated his big runs and his broken tackles was almost kind of subtle. Um, it, it was these small changes of directions and small bursts and um, just avoiding players at kind of exactly the right time so that instead of running through a tackle, he's running through an arm. Um, and I can see where that maybe wouldn't show up in practice. So let's see how he does come, you know, actual games, preseason games and stuff like that and see, I wouldn't judge him too much, his rushing ability too much on practice. And I mean, if he's looking good in the pass game, that's pretty encouraging. Um, well, Alex, the big thing for him to figure out is the pass blocking. So. Yeah, Alex Potts on the chat brings up a great point, um, and I'm I'm always happy to bring up my failures as a prognosticator with this yeah. stuff. But uh, Kristen Michael looked fantastic in practices because he was in a totally. That's because Kristen Michael was a very good running back, actually. <laughs> he was an elite athlete. Uh, yeah. That guy, I mean, he looked at a different speed. He just jumped off the field, and look how that turned out. Maybe maybe a better comparison is maybe Matt Forte. Hmm. Yeah, Forte is another guy that's kind of like that. Yeah, because I think what Nathan was saying was similar to what Brock was passing along, that his best asset is his vision and his ability to turn maybe something small into a pretty good chunk of yards. And you might not see that when they can't hit or they can't fully block. And he doesn't have that explosion that maybe McKissick or Procise might have. So games are really where you got to watch Penny because – that's where you can really see someone like Forte, which was kind of that all-around back without that jump-off-the-page speed. Kristen Michael, Kristen Michael averaged four and a half yards of carry, five point one yards of carry, four point nine yards of carry, and four yards of carry. Tell me, like, is there another running back on the Seahawks that has done that over the last four years? I mean, okay, four years. You go back to twenty thirteen, you got Martian stuff, but he was respectable. Four point nine yards, twenty fifteen, on forty carries. That's not bad. He's a good running back. Yeah, he's really like for the end zone. Yeah, he was a guy that was the antithesis of a good reader of the the offense. I mean, that guy ran into the wrong hole so many times. I mean, he's he's a guy. Five yards to carry, though. I know, I know. Trust me, this is a guy. He should have been better though. He should have been like seven yards to carry. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he 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 was an explosive athlete and. uh, just kind of a two-bit professional, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I think I think it's interesting uh, the the running back position group. I think uh, another one that that not anyone really seems to be talking about, but I'll tell you, got my attention yesterday was uh, Jamarco Jones. Um, mm. uh, you know, it was very very small sample size. I'll, I'll caveat it, but uh, in one v one pass rush drills, and they do two v two now. Uh, under Mike Solari, Jones looked really good. And actually the guy next to him, Skylar Phillips, who's from Idaho State, and uh, I don't know if anyone's read up on him, but super strong guy. Um, 
and uh, a little bit in like kind of the Jordan Roos kind of uh, mold. And there was one play where they were doing two V2s, and I can't remember the two pass rushers, but they they twisted, you know, to to hand off to to the other uh, offensive line. And both Jones and Phillips just basically stopped them, like in their tracks. Like there was a total anchor where they didn't move them back at all. And that was after Jones had showed some really nice, smooth um, edge um, protection um, on just a, a couple pass rush plays. So um, that was it was promising seeing him. I think pass rushing is supposedly maybe his strength, from what I understand, and maybe the challenge with him is more. How strong is he in the run game? But, um, you know, it, it was nice to see uh, a little bit on a, a guy that I think a lot of people were hope, pretty excited that we were able to get um, where they where the Seahawks drafted him. I bet he's going to lose that right tackle job, right? <laughs> like, he, he's not going to fend up. Because they got Brown locked down, so Jones needs a place to play. So left tackle probably not it forever. Like, between Jones and Fant, does a Fetty keep that job? Did you hear who, who was playing right tackle today for a bit? Uh, no, I didn't hear. I, I know that the Fetty was playing at guard. I didn't hear who, who was playing at tackle. Isaiah Battle. Now they were saying that, and this could be the same thing with you know making excuses for Penny, but they were just saying that they wanted a Fetty to to knock off some rust at guard, right? That they just wanted to keep him familiar, so in case of injury or something, he could slide around. Is the story? Yeah, I don't know if you right? guys heard the, like the Solari uh, press conference, but it's fun to kind of get to know the new coaches and their tells and and how like close to the best they are, but <laughs> Solari is hard to read, but he was like, best five guys are going to be on the field, and we're going to keep moving guys around, and you know, he did not have necessarily nice things to say about Effetti when they asked about it. They just kind of talked about, you know, we're you can see a lot of guys rotate in there and competition's the name of the game. And I was like, hell yes, that's all I want to hear. Just at least take a look at some other guys and at least make him earn the spot. I mean, the Fetty ends up being the best option, God help us, but let's let's see what he's got. Uh, but don't just give it the job. I mean, he certainly hasn't earned just having the job handed to him. And he's ha- he's had it handed to him the past couple of years. He has. I think that's the I think that's the player Sherman's been talking about, where he keeps saying the competition hasn't been the same. The first round picks have been getting handed positions. They had that fight a couple of years ago, right? I mean, everybody's had a fight with the Fetty, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you heard Sol- Solari raved about Fluker today. He did not say that about a Fetty. He did. He did rave about Fluker. That's true. He he was almost swearing, you know, saying about <laughs> what he does on the field. And, uh, you know, he was saying a lot of nice things about Dwayne Brown and what he brings. And then he talked about, you know, being excited to get George Fant back on the field. And he didn't go as far as to say it, but he's like, we're starting at left tackle. But he did imply by saying he's going to start in there that they're like, he's eager to get a seat. He basically, I'm reading a ton into this because that's what we get to do. But he's like, Eager to get him back on the field, going to start him at left tackle, and best five guys are going to be on the field. Those three things in order made me think, like, all right, he's thinking where I'm thinking. <laughs> like, he's going to get Fan back out there, get him situated, and he's going to put him over there at right tackle, and at least we'll have some competition, uh, you know, more competition for a Fetty. So we'll see. And I know that Nathan's pretty convinced that Fant is uh, the second coming, based on last week. That's correct. Yep. Good. I'm glad I, I'm glad I heard you correctly. Um, yeah. So 
I'm going to take us in a total different direction for a second, and we'll come back to Seahawks. Um, did you guys see the the uh, the low light of Richard Sherman's uh, getting beat in 49ers? Seahawks fans were so excited to jump all over that. Yeah, it was, it was a little <laughs> embarrassing. I gotta say. Yeah. Like, say why. Say why. It's what was your reaction? Mark, what was your like, reaction to it? I mean, he, uh, you know, to be honest, he did look, uh, I think he, he, uh, if, if you're a Niners fan, maybe what's most concerning about that is what he blew was the press. He missed him on the press and he guessed wrong, mm-hmm. uh, which is weird because in practice, I'm pretty sure they're just one, running one route. So that, that he would kind of mess that up is maybe what I would be concerned with. But getting outran by Marquis Goodwin is no, there's no shame in that. Like, you can put Marquise Goodwin in a in a uh, you know a sprint with just about every player in the NFL, and he's going to beat you know ninety nine percent of them. So it, it, I don't know. The the whole thing was everyone jumped on it. Oh, he's looking slow. Like I don't know. Sherm never looked that fast. Like come on. <laughs> <laughs> Did you revel in it though? Like wh- were you like? Happy yeah, I love Sherm. I've got a Sherm jersey. I I think people's reaction to Sherm leaving has been ridiculous. Uh, I'm happy for him. Like I'm going to root for him fourteen games out of the year. You know so. No, I didn't. I wasn't excited. I didn't jump on it and be like, ah. Yeah, yeah. Jeff and, and and Evan, where where were you guys on that? Who's yeah, got a stronger I'll, take? I'll chip in on this. Number one, I love Richard Sherman. Number two, I thoroughly enjoyed it. The, my favorite thing about Thorough. your list are the third, like the last bullet is always the real bullet. Like, <laughs> number one, <laughs> seems like a nice guy. Number two, he seems like he's an okay offensive tackle. Number three, I'd cut his ass. <laughs> It's true, though. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I want to be very clear. Richard Sherman, if you're listening right now, I cannot wait. I cannot wait for Tyler Lockett to burn your ass this year. Can't wait to see Keenan Reynolds go up against Sherman in a couple weeks. (laughs) No, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was amazing. I I, I, – but you got you got to rationalize those two things for me, Evan. Like those two bullets don't make any sense. Well, so this is the thing. I love Richard Sherman, the Seahawk. I'm not sure I love Richard Sherman, the 49er. Right now, he's kind of currently an enemy. Um, yeah, I I I, I let you about Roland Tate. Oh God, uh, I'm fine with him because he's a he's a lion. I mean, he's not a 49er. All right. Interesting. Jeff, any thoughts? I couldn't believe how slow he looked. Thank you. Thank you. He did look slow, Jeff. I don't care care if it's Usain Bolt next to him. Richard Sherman looks slow. He always had trouble with the – he was great on the fade routes, obviously. No one beats him on the fade route, but there's been multiple times where people have beat him on that straight line speed. I remember there was a game against the Vikings like years ago where he gave up like a massive touchdown. But – when he's running, when there wasn't the scene where he's running after a good one, he looked slow. <laughs> I think Evan tweeted. I think Evan's like, oh, now I know why we cut him. Did you guys see the 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 Twitter um, pillow fight between Grant Cohen, uh, 49ers beat writer, and like some other people in the press? Because I think Cohen had said, he had reported that Sherman was limping and didn't expect him to make camp. And then he did show up at camp and everyone was holding it over Cone's face. And he was like, well, he just wanted his $2 million. He, he's still not like, like the press corps is even like, you know, already 
tearing apart at the seams because of Richard Sherman's presence. It's uh, it is a little entertaining. I will say this real quick. It is absolutely amazing watching 49er fans defend Sherman getting publicly burned on Twitter and defending him as a corner. This is just amazing how fast like Seahawks fans like for years, uh, you know, fans of other teams were like Sherman's only good because he's got Earl. He's slow. Ah, It's just a scheme thing. And the second and oh, he's. He's a jerk. I don't like him. And then, you know, CR fans are like, no, he's great. He's so cool. He's socially aware. And <laughs> no, it's not the scheme. And then the second he leaves, Seahawks fans are like, oh, my God, he's so slow. Are you guys seeing this? <laughs> oh, he won't stop talking. Oh, my God. Like, shut up. Like, I don't know. I, yeah. love Sherm. I loved Sherm for Sherm. And it's just super clear that Seahawks fans only loved Seahawks Sherm. Yep, I'm with you. Air 5, uh, <laughs> through the internet for you, Nate. I- I'm-, I'm right there with you. Like, Sherm was uh, like a fantastic player for this team. He has been a great part of this community. He's like uh, a foundational pillar of of what the Seahawks became. He he brought up a lot of the Seahawks players that came after him. He was actually, I would argue, one of the best secondary coaches that the Seahawks had um, in helping people learn that. You know, I saw him work almost every training camp practice with a young player on technique over and over again didn't have to do that. Um, you know, this is a guy that's, I think, involved in a lot of the right things for a lot of the right reasons. And he got cut. He didn't ask to be cut. Like, the, the Seahawks cut him. Um, and, and so I didn't get any joy in seeing him look like crap. I will say he looked bad. Like, you know, to me, that's, that, that's all I'm saying. I, I'm, I didn't say I hated it. I just said I, he looked slow. Yeah, I want to be clear about this. Number one, I love Richard Sherman. The uh, no, dude, Evan, the boat sailed. I'm not letting you walk that back. <laughs> where you are on this. Yeah, Evan, three-point strategy. Yeah, I'm giving you your third point, and it's that you, you're you anti-Sherm. So, um, but, you know, look, he – whether you care about Sherm or you care about the Seahawks, it was significant because he did not look like a player that's – getting close to being ready to being a starting cornerback. Um, it was one play. I've And someone's like, it's one play. Everyone's freaking out. I've seen most of Sherm's training camp snaps for the past four or five years. And I've never seen a snap where he looked like that, period, ever. And and especially on that route, um, you know, a deep fade, that guy, he does not miss – he does not miss a jam at the line. And if he does, he's going to grab and hold and you won't get by him. And there's no flags or if there are, he doesn't care, but he's not going to let you do that. And he's a guy that went through the entire training camp a lot of times without giving up any pass in any drill. Like, I mean, he, he was that kind of player. So um, I personally wish him the best. I hope he gets back. I hope he's as good or better than he ever was before and proves a lot of the haters wrong. Um, I don't even care if he plays well against the Seahawks. Like, uh, he can do that. Um, I do hope the Seahawks get him a few times just because I hope the Seahawks always win. But um, anyway, it, it's interesting to me. I, I, I feel pretty loyal to him the same way I'd feel loyal to Doug if he played for another team or Russell if he played for another team. You know, um, I don't hate Michael Bennett that he's on the Eagles, you know. Um, anyway, it's, it's just interesting to watch that, uh, that whole thing unfold. And now we know where Evan truly falls. So um, what else have we not talked about? We have not talked about Shaquem Griffin. Mm. 
Forks How do you guys feel when you saw that highlight today? Assuming you did. Uh, he came out of nowhere, but it probably didn't help that the camera angle was like really tight. Uh, but uh, he looked like natural catching the ball too. I mean, um, I think he had one pick in college, but um, it was really cool to see him just break on a ball like that. Um, you know, maybe disappointing route by Vanette, but uh, it's awesome that he's out there doing that kind of stuff. I mean, two turnovers already. Um, you got to think that stands out well with the coaching staff. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I saw some fan concerns. I'm not sure I really held the same position about, you know, obviously there's the complication of he doesn't have one hand and is he able to, you know, catch an NFL speed interception? Is that a factor at all? I didn't think it was, but it, it's cool to see it. Um, it's cool to see it live. And, 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 you know, I had a short little vision four years from now of Shaquem Griffin being extended to a four-year $60 million deal after being named an All-Pro. <laughs> not wait for that day. I'm telling you right now. Yeah. I don't know if I'm seeing that yet. Uh, <laughs> Jeff, yeah. So you got Shaquem Griffin who yesterday caught up to Nick Vanette and forced a fumble um, from behind. Defense recovered. Today you had him stepping in front of Nick Vanette to uh, pick off a pass uh, with one hand. Um, you know, what what was your reaction when you, you heard about that or saw the highlight? I thought that his first step quickness is ridiculous. The way, ability for him that he can get either he can chase someone from behind or how he can get into the backfield on a handoff or step in front of a route. That, that's really unique, and that's really what stood out in his college tape. And to see that matchup with NFL speed is pretty cool. I like to see the Seahawks not throw interceptions on the goal line anymore. I could go without that. But really, if you, that, that's the big thing with Shaq Griffin. How do you get his actual speed into game speed? And the, if you can see plays like that, because that's what jumped off his college film. He's shown ability to catch the ball. And yeah, if you can see that explosion. And I remember, I know Pete said he had trouble with that early in camp. He was too excited and he couldn't diagnose plays properly. And I know there was a play, I think either today or yesterday. I think Bobby Wagner had to pull him aside. His instant, he got too excited and he blew a huge coverage. So the fact that he's showing progress already, that's that's a good sign to me. Yeah, it's – I'm trying to be really balanced with him because obviously we've all talked about it. We're huge fans of him and the story and, and want him to make it. Um, but I also don't want him to just be a mascot. Like I, I don't think he wants that. I don't think anybody really wants that. I, I was talking to somebody at practice the other day. and They're like, yeah, if he just makes the team, he's an inspiration in the locker room and everyone knows that – if a guy like this can do it, then we're going to try that much harder. And I think that's there's some validity in, in just the inspiration you can provide. But I don't think anybody yearns to just be, you know, sitting in a corner and inspiring people, you know. You don't want to be Like, you know, I, I think he wants to make an impact and be an NFL player. That's his dream. And I don't think he wants people talking to him like, he's good for a guy with one hand. I, I don't think that's what, how he wants to be known. He wants to be known as a good NFL or great NFL player on, on his own merits, you know, um, like anybody else would. And so I try to look at him that way. And um, I, I was pretty concerned about how he could move in space. And cause if you look at, if you, I don't know how much you guys have watched him play in college, but he was like right on the line. Um, a lot of times, almost a defensive end in most situations, did a lot of pass rushing. And when he was chasing the ball, which he was really good at in pursuit, it was right next to the line of scrimmage, you know, within a yard or two of the line of scrimmage was where a lot of his, his action was happening. 
And the Seahawks were asking him to play off the ball as a will linebacker. And um, one, he's shadowed the tight ends pretty well. He looks really comfortable in coverage. Um, he has, as you said, Jeff, I've seen him break on the ball a couple times. I saw him break on the ball and Rashad Penny, a swing pass to him. And not only broke on the ball, but he wrapped up. He tackled effectively, brought him down right away. Um, and then, you know, the last thing I would have expected was he would be the guy leading the team in turnovers forced um, so far in camp. You know, I would think if anything, that would be a challenge um, for him. And uh, it's pretty awesome that he's proven proven all that wrong um, so far. Uh, I don't think that he's flashed to me as a guy that's going to like demand snaps and, you know, he, he's some amazing player. But he looks like an NFL player. He looks like he belongs. He looks like a guy that's going to earn a roster spot and not just be given one. And, and I think that's, that's pretty awesome. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty encouraged through, through a few practices. Uh, is yeah. anyone worried about, I feel like we're hearing a lot about interceptions, like Tedrick's big play with some pick. Uh, Shaquem's had a, a pick. I don't, I don't know if that's just because like you say, we tend to hear about the big plays that come out of these practices or, I mean, is, are the, is Russ out there just checking a bunch of picks or how's he look? <laughs> That's, that's really interesting. Uh, and it is a great example of how uh, what gets publicized can affect perception. So yesterday's interception by Tedrick in the late, like that was late in practice, was Russ's first pick of camp. Um, I don't know for sure because I was not there today, but I believe the the Shaq interception, the, the Keem interception today was his second. Um, I, I, there might have been others today, but um, otherwise, Russell's looked fine. I wouldn't say he's looked better or worse. You know, he looks like the same guy who, you know, things start to break down. He starts to run around and does Russell things. Um, you know, um, he's thrown some beautiful balls, uh, you know, deep. He's, he actually has been going deep quite a bit. I think they're really looking for who's maybe their next Paul Richardson. Um, you know, I think that's why they're bringing in a lot of these really sprinty receivers to see if anyone um, is going to jump out there. But Russell's looked fine. I think the backups, Austin Davis has been, has missed some wide open players. Um, you know, he, he, he was actually, I heard from the inside last year during camp, and this was during camp last year that uh, he had the highest accuracy rate of any of the QBs. Um, and that that was kind of getting some notice <laughs> in the locker room. Um, and this year, yeah, that's uh, that's not the case. <laughs> it's not happening so far. And Magoo uh, hasn't stood out anymore. I mean, they both look like you could put. It's hard to know when one of them's on the field versus the other with Davis and Magoo. They they're fine, but but nothing special there. I think one element to consider here is we also had a ton of pass catchers leaving free agency, Nathan. So you know, Doug Baldwin has been sitting out. Um, Paul Richardson gone. Jimmy Graham is gone. Um, a lot of these new receivers, Russ might still be developing chemistry with. You know, we're we're so early on in this process that um, that could be a that could be an element in play here. I think for sure. I think Nathan, you brought up uh, Demoria Stringfellow last week. Um, you know, and from a body perspective, like profile, uh, he definitely looks the part of an NFL receiver and. Um, there was a play in particular yesterday where he ran a slant in the red zone, which I don't know, that hasn't, hasn't been something the Seahawks have done that often. And when they have, it hasn't necessarily worked out so well, but, um, 
he looked like the great wall, you know, putting himself between the quarterback and his defender. Uh, it made it look really easy. Like his body just, uh, it really stood out the way he caught that. And then there's at least three deep sideline passes where he went over. One of them was over Shaq, uh, Shaquille Griffin, um, you know, outstretched, full stretch. Um, and Griffin wasn't able to make the play and Stringfellow was. So he had a really nice day yesterday. Um, and I think, I don't know what he looked like today, but I'm kind of curious to see how that uh, transitions. And we haven't seen Brandon Marshall on the practice field yet, um, uh, at least, you know, in team drills. And it has been interesting to see him coaching up um, some of the younger receivers. I saw him coaching up Marcus Johnson. Um, and Marcus Johnson looks – he's got a lot of hype. I would say my initial read is that's because of the relative effect. I mean, he looks better than some, but I don't think it's like the most powerhouse group to begin with. So um, I'm not too over my heels yet on, on Marcus Johnson. I have a question for you guys. Um. If all these receivers turn out to be a bit of a mirage, would you want the Seahawks to sign Des Bryant? No. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. I, I don't want to see – I mean, if if Russ stays healthy the whole year, I want him to have somebody that he trusts and can stay in some kind of a rhythm with. I don't want I, – I don't think it's been too bad, but I do think that you've seen Russ get a little bit more skittish. And as the offensive line is deteriorated around him, it would really suck to see if they can get improved pass protection, but then the wide receivers are terrible. And so you end up kind of in the same place and Russ gets just frustrated or skittish or doesn't have anywhere to go. And so you start seeing some of the, the bad habits develop. So if, if Des can come in and, and, you know, work and he's not too expensive and he can be a reliable player for Russ and with everybody else flaming out, I think definitely, I think just to keep, Russ happy and sane and and doing the right thing. Uh, I don't think it would hurt. I guess why not add to the competition? I mean, the only thing that could really prohibit this move is if Des wants too much money. Um, you know, obviously he's coming off that fifteen million dollars salary with the Dallas Cowboys um, before he was cut. So I think it really comes down to what number he wants. Um, I think he might be waiting for a camp injury to occur and then might strike when a team is feeling needy. Um, but this could come down to numbers. I, I think Des is a really like a, like a feed my family. I'm going to get as much as I need type of guy, which, which he should be. And um, sometimes the Seahawks can be a little El Cheapo. And um, especially with the receiver position, as we saw by numerous decisions, including the golden tape five mil a year offer or whatever the heck that was. Um, so this one, this one could just come down to number of differences, honestly. Yeah. I'm a hard pass. Like, it, you know, maybe the, the only kind of situation I would even consider a Des Bryant signing would be the Seahawks were Super Bowl contenders partway through the season. Like they're, everything's going gangbusters and they get decimated at receiver and that's the key thing. And they just have to bring in the best quality talent they can find and he's sitting there on the street then I would at least try, try him out and figure that out you've got a team that I think is going to be lucky to to challenge for the playoffs this year um, and you've got a you've just tilled the field and you're planting new seeds and you're going to bring in I think a rotten one 
to potentially like teach and influence how these other kids grow. Um, I, I, I don't get it for what, for what benefit? So you win, you win like eight games instead of seven. Like, I, I don't see why you would do that. Um, I think Brandon Marshall's a much better example of the type of guy I think they'd want to bring in. And honestly, I haven't seen much from Des Bryant the last few years that makes me think he's the guy that can produce on the field either. So that's an easy one for me. I, I, I'd look a lot of other places before I, you know, let's, let's get Tanner McAvoy. Uh, oh, stop we, uh... it. Stop it. Tanner <laughs> McAvoy? Yeah. Oh, stop it, Brian. Well, you know, Evan, I was waiting for this moment because oh, on that list of uh, most 40-yard plays, McAvoy would be tied for third uh, if you counted passes. He's got a 40-yard, 43-yard pass and two 40-yard-plus receptions. Big play Tanner. Big play Tanner. I have a question. I have a question for the Tanner and McAvoy supporters. What the hell is he good at? Because it's not at being a football good football player. I That's speed. not it for sure. Seriously, what's he good at? What's he good at? Standing closer to God in the sky? Where is? Where are his talents? Seriously, what what is he known for? What is he good at? I think special teams. You know how many, <laughs> hasn't he fumbled multiple times on special teams? No. I don't I, think so. I don't <laughs> think he touches the ball on special teams. I, I, that was <laughs> I think he's had the ball multiple times on special teams. Yeah. Um, you know, I, you know, I'm not going to go back into a Tanner McAvoy defense because uh, I don't think he's going to be on the team, is my guess. But, but special teams is a good thing to bring up for a second. There was actually, I was probably one of only one people that listened to Brian Schneider's press conference today, um, uh, special teams coach for the Seahawks. And I'll go, I'll go out there, excuse me, it's choking me up, uh, and say I was surprised he was not one of the coaches that got let go. Uh, I think the Seahawks special teams needed a revamp and, and uh, did not get it. Um, I don't think he got nearly enough heat for the decisions they've made at kicker and punter the last few years um, and the lack of uh, – I think they've been out-schemed on special teams a number of times and lost games because of it. That aside uh, – he was talking about a rule change. And I don't know if you guys know the details. I don't, but I, I guess they've outlawed the wedge in in the return game. And for people that don't know the wedge, it's literally what it sounds like where players can on the return team can line up as blockers in a V and, um, you know, uh, try to you know, block people up the field. Or is it the other way? I can't remember. In any event, the wedge is no longer. And he was talking about that they're going to need different kinds of players on special teams, like where they would have had J.R. Sweezy or last year Jordan Roost in the return game. Now they're looking for more athletes and um, guys that can move. And they're talking about having multiple returners back instead of just one. And sounded like some interesting changes to how the return game could actually uh, evolve this year. I was curious if any of you guys have more information on the changes of the return game. Um, from following that at all so uh, they outlawed the wedge a few years ago but then i think this year I, I think they reduced it down to like the number of players that could be in the wedge and i think this year they've completely outruled it yeah so okay so i'm looking at a usa today article as we as we podcast um 
yeah, it was two man wedges were allowed. So they had uh, a few years ago, they had reduced it from whatever it was to just allowing two people. And now you can't even do that. And then they did a bunch of other stuff too with how players have to line up and you have to be more balanced. And um, they reduced the kind of uh, like uh, run up that you can get. So basically, balance it out, slow people down, avoid these wedges where you're just trying to blast through people to make it all safer. So yeah, I mean, it's probably going to change things a lot. It'll be really interesting because I think the rules have, they, they swung when they moved the the kick up, uh, the kickoff up. Um, but now with these other rules, these new rules, it seems like they probably benefit the return team um, by and large. And so it'll be interesting to see what what teams do? Are, are they going to do anything different? Is Lockett going to take it out more? Um, I think he finally started to figure it out last year that like just just nobody. Um, but will that swing back the other way? And and can they get anything going there? I want to just kneel buddy uh, jersey for for Nathan. Yeah, uh, that has so many meanings. Um, yeah, it, it was definitely interesting, and and uh, the the kicking competition. Um, I got to tell you guys, Sebastian Janikowski, he's three years younger than I am. And he looks like, uh, he looks like, you know, all four of us combined. I don't know, like how that guy fits in. He looks like a potato. Like <laughs> he's just like small feet and then just this big round thing. And when he like runs up to the, to the ball, I'm just like, oh God, he's about to pull something. It's just, it's going to happen. I don't know. I don't know how he's still out there. Um, uh, he he's a good kicker. I mean, he makes what he kicks, but that's gonna be interesting. But I think probably more interesting is the the John Ryan and and um, and Michael Dixon competition. Uh, I was gonna say it's bad news for a punter taken in the fifth round for us to talk about special teams for like six minutes and get into depth about like rule changes and to have not brought up all world all time. Got to draft him above real NFL players, Michael Dixon. I can't wait for like five years from now or 10 years from now where we get to like come back to this clip and, and show it to Nathan and, and, and hear what he has to say when they're talking about like ring of honor and hall of fame, you know, if they're putting him in the ring of honor in five years, I don't even know <laughs> how that would work. He's going to be MVP of the next, you know, super bowl to Seahawks play. And he's proven he can step up in those big bowl games. So, um, uh, He's fun to watch. Uh, it's, it's impossible to say who's better at punting at this point, like at all. But uh, he, everything he does is different. Um, you know, he's dribbling the ball uh, uh, as he walks up and down the field, like a bunch of Aussie rules uh, kids do. And does that help him punt? He does. I don't know. <laughs> he does this really odd warm up where I don't even know if I can show it, but like I'm gonna try to do it with my finger. It's gonna be really great. <laughs> He puts his, his leg back like this and holds it there and drops the ball and then goes boop. And then he puts his leg back like this and drops the ball, boop. And it's he's like kicks the crap out of the ball. It goes like 50 yards without even like a step or like there's no other motion. He's just like kind of doing it. And then he'll walk into the middle of um, kickoff uh, practice where the usually Janikowski and Myers are kicking the ball off. And he'll just start drop kicking the ball 60 yards uh, to the returners. And I don't know. He, for my eye, the guy has more leg than John Ryan, who's like pretty ancient. Um, but John Ryan's looked pretty good as well. I don't know how long they're going to keep John Ryan around if, 
if he ends up making the team and they cut Dixon, that would be uh Then we'll come back to this clip. <laughs> I would really not enjoy watching this clip at that point. But uh yeah, I I I I'm looking forward to seeing what Do you get extra points for like trick shots, punts? I'm not real familiar with the NFL rules. So like if you drop kick it, do you get a point for that? Is it like Canadian football? Um, I was reading these rules before, like earlier when he got drafted. Um, my understanding is you can drop kick uh, for extra points um, as an alternative to a place kick. You can also, I believe, drop kick for a field goal, um, you know, out in the field. But it's like taking a field goal. You lose the ball where you, you kicked it um, at that point if that happens. So, um you know, I think most people aren't don't believe they're accurate enough to do that, but uh, uh, we'll see. Um, if you guys talk it up for a second, I'll take a look and double check my. I, I was mostly just kidding, but I'm really excited to win the punting warm up uh, battle every game. That'll be great. <laughs> we can intimidate the other team with our uh, trick shot punter. It'll be great. Well, it's unfortunate. Michael Dixon, you know, was a fifth round pick, but he's not going to get to punt very often. You know, our offense is going to score so often and, and his opportunities will be limited. So I, th I feel bad for him. I really do. Yeah. With the Seahawks defensive line, I don't know if pinning teams deep is such a good strategy. <laughs> yeah. You could drop kick for three points. Yeah. It's just like, it's just like a field goal. And, you know, Watch. I mean, if Dixon is just a Hall of Fame punter, imagine if he becomes a Hall of Fame punter and a kicker, and the Seahawks save a roster spot by having one player do both. That is Where the will dream. You be then, Nathan. Where will you be? <laughs> if he can, if he can save a roster spot, uh, I mean, he still shouldn't be in the ring of honor. But that would be cool. I, I would be much happier with the pick if he can save a roster spot. You gotta remember too, though. John Ryan is 36 years old. He has a 3.2 mil cap hit this year. In a nearly four million dollar cap hit next year, um, I know whose contract is cheaper. Yeah, I'm. I'm all. I am definitely all in on moving on from John Ryan in almost any situation. Like, it's time, no doubt. Um, all right, fellas. Uh, any other position groups you guys want to hit on before we uh, start wrapping this bad boy up? I have one. I sorry. Go ahead, Nathan. No, it's okay. Go for it. One question: Yes or no answer. Does Mike Davis make this roster? My literal reaction was, I don't even know who Mike Davis is. It took me a second to remember. <laughs> I've kind of ragged on Mike Davis on Twitter, and like I actually like him, and I, I kind of thought he played okay, even though like there's nothing to back that up. But um, so my my immediate reaction is no, probably not. <laughs> Jeff, I'm gonna go no too. I think he gets caught in a numbers game. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think I'm in the same bucket. Uh, I I have to I have not added up roster spots yet and started doing uh, predictions. One thing that could change there is depending on what they decide to do with fullback, and it's impossible to tell right now whether they're going to really keep the fullback around or not. Well, so okay, let's say Mike Davis plays well throughout preseason and all that, and get to the end of camp, and CJ Procise is still healthy. Do you? Cut Mike Davis and keep CJ Procise knowing you may get 10 snaps out of Procise, or do you go with a safer option who's probably not as good? I think you go with Procise just because you got the stability in Carson and, and Penny, I think. Can Davis still be on the practice squad? Mm, 
I, I don't know. I think he was. I think he was active for too many games last yeah. year. I don't know if they've changed the practice squad rules or not. But yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm with Evan on this one. Uh, Mike Davis was a free agent this year. I'm sure he was looking to go somewhere else and didn't have any other uh, suitors. So you know, I, I think you take your chances, put him in back on the market, and if you can't have Mike Davis, I think there's probably other guys similar to Mike Davis that you can probably pick up um, on the street as well. So unrelated to position groups, but you did just bring up the fullback. Have you noticed uh, any difference in just the offensive scheme, the shoddy effect? Is there a fullback out there more often? Is there anything different? Are they running heavier sets? Or uh, what can you tell that's been changed? Uh, the only thing that, that jumps out, I'm, I honestly have not been watching and particularly for that. I've been trying to get the depth charts more than, than anything else and, and uh, have not been charting like which personnel group they've been in uh, yet. But the only thing that's, that's come close to that is there's more screenplays than I've seen um, the Seahawks run in the past. So um, that might just be what they're installing right now. That's the other thing that's really tough in camp to know is if, if it's indicative of an offensive philosophy, or they're just in a particular install um, of the playbook for one day. But um, there's been a lot of passes to the running backs, planned passes, not just dump offs um, that I've seen. It's good to see those screen passes not go to Jermaine Curse. I just want to say that real quick. <laughs> Natalie uh, Weiner is somewhere, you know, probably not listening uh, and <laughs> getting a tear uh, with that comment. Um, uh, Zach Mann asks about Will Disley. Uh, you know, I will say that uh, Nick Vanette has been running with the starters. Disley's been second in, in the depth chart. Uh, Where's I, Dixon? I, I thought, hey. What's that? Where's Dixon? Is he hurt? hurt. Yeah, Dixon's hurt. Um, Disley, I saw make one catch. You know, if Disley's a blocking tight end primarily, I don't think he's it's going to be easy to really – you know, see his contributions in, in camp. Um, Vanette's looked okay. Uh, you know, I don't think he stood out necessarily either. Tyron Swoops is a guy that I've been high on. Um, you know, has been okay, um, not great. So, you know, the tight end position is not not exactly jumping off the page so far. Um, but but uh, we'll see how things come when Dixon's back and. Sure seems like they built the tight end group to do things other than catch the ball this year. So so that's going to be interesting to to see when they get to the to the games. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, been great catching up as always. Um, we will have more uh, Real Hawk talk uh, hopefully next week. Um, when's the first uh, preseason game? Next Thursday. Next Thursday. A week from Thursday, right? Kristen wow. Michael versus the Seattle Seahawks. Nice. Nice. And is that a home game or is that a away game? Let me look. Home. It's away? Home. Oh, it's home. Yeah, I believe so. Oh, so I'm going to be going to a Pearl Jam concert Wednesday night and then Seahawks game Thursday night. That's going to be a good week. It's going to be a hectic week for an old man like you. <laughs> You have no idea, my friend. Um, all right. Awesome, guys. Uh, take care. Enjoy the night. Try to keep cool. Evan, you can take your shirt back off uh, as soon as we finish the podcast.
Cheers, everybody.